going to be in Psalms 48 uh, tonight. Uh, Psalms 48 kind of goes along with 46 and 47, and I was talking to Titus for uh, class. I almost skipped over this and went right to 50 or 51, uh, this one, the next one. It, it, it's one of these psalms that's, to me, at first glance, like sometimes things in Scripture, you read over them and it just, you get to some, you think, well, I just got to read through this one just to get through it to get to something else. Unfortunately, sometimes we, we get in that mindset. But the more I really looked at this psalm and, and, and dug a little deeper into it, there's actually quite a bit of meaning to it, uh, quite a bit of implication, not only in the immediate context, but especially in the, uh, the broader context of the New Jerusalem, the spiritual Jerusalem, as far as the New Zion uh, with Christianity itself and God's people. So I, I think there's, and I hope that there's a, a lot that I can hopefully bring out tonight that we can learn. Uh, Psalms 48, we'll begin in verse 1. It says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is in her palaces. He is known as her refuge. Uh, now this psalm begins like many others in praise, Praise to God, but it's not necessarily praising God as much as it is praising God for uh, Jerusalem and what he did for Jerusalem then and in the broader context for the new Jerusalem, the spiritual Jerusalem. But in this context to, to Israel and especially time of the Psalms of how much Jerusalem meant as they were building that city, but also uh, that nation and all that God had done for them. So what this psalm is is, yes, it's praising God, but it's praising God for His protection and His, uh, His vigilance and victory for this city and what this city means to them and what uh, it means to God and what God has promised. We're going to get into more of that, of the implications of that, but I think it's important that we keep that in the context of what, especially at that time, this city meant to them. And what God meant to them in the protection. and I mean, Jerusalem was it, wasn't it? Jerusalem was the place. Uh, I mean, that's where God was. That's where the temple was. That's where uh, 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 they, I guess, most felt the presence of God. And a lot of things that the scriptures say about that. But it's not just about the physical city. It's much more than that. But in this immediate context, it's really praising what this city was to them and, and just like it says great is the Lord greatly to be praised in the city of our God they considered you know this was the place this was God's city in his holy mountain beautiful in elevation uh, I think maybe the ESV and maybe some others translate uh, in its uh, in its loftiness now uh, Jerusalem was it in a high place was Zion in a high place was it the highest it wasn't the highest. If you look at uh, the surrounding mountains that were in Palestine at that time, yeah, it, it was on an elevation, but I, I don't believe that they're praising the city because of how high it was up, because there was places that were higher, the mountain, mountains that were higher. I think it was considered a high, a lofty place, and I, I, I believe lofty is a, a better translation because I don't think it, my, me personally, I don't think they were talking about the ele elevation of it. 
I think what they're talking about is how high it was because of what it meant to God and what God had done for it. Uh, they, they set it on a high standard because God did, because that's where the presence of God was, all that he did for that. I believe the meaning goes more toward that than just that it sets on a high place. Though it did, but it wasn't, I don't believe from the research that I did, that it was the highest place. But it says, the city of the great king, God is in her palaces. He is known as her refuge. So their, their thinking is, and their mindset is, of how, how wonderful it is because how wonderful God is. Can you imagine being in a position to where you think, okay, I'm in a place that this is where I can really feel the presence of God. I know God's here. I know God's protection is here. I know God's, uh, uh, my refuge is here. Can you imagine what that feeling's like? But as Christians, we should feel that, shouldn't we? We're going to kind of get into that. That's what he, he does for the new Jerusalem, isn't it? That's what he does for us spiritually. He, he, he's with us. But I think as we go through this, what I see sometimes is kind of what we may place on a building sometimes that it becomes about the place, not about God. And I think that's what happened to Jerusalem was it became about the place sometimes more than it did about God, that Jerusalem was the place. It wasn't Jerusalem was the place because of God. It was Jerusalem was the place. And we're going to get in and kind of talk about that, but I think we can kind of fall into that mindset today that our religion, the presence of God, the, the where we feel closer to God is when we're in this building. And we've got to make sure that we understand it goes beyond that. And I, I think that's what they had to too. But I think in the immediate part, that's what they're thinking about because they're experiencing that. And I think we're going to see that, especially as we get into about verse 8 or so here, to where they're not only thinking about what they've heard from generations to generation, they're, they're thinking about what they're actually seeing God's protection. They're seeing God's refuge. They're seeing it firsthand, so this is why they're praising Him, but they're still connecting it to that Jerusalem is this great place because of what God is doing for them. Any thoughts about that? And I may be reading too much into it, but I think we do have to be careful that we don't get caught up in the place of something more than we do uh, uh, the God of something. Different. It would have lifted it up, and yet they didn't care about him. And yeah. He was lifted up to heaven when he passed down to Hades. And so, you know, what your point about the presence of God is really what elevates the place. It, so right. That's what makes it what it is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, there, there is its importance to the place because, for instance, God says, if you, you know, if you'll be my people, I'll stand you on this mountain and I'll bring you into yeah. the corner. I will be there. Yeah, and there's actually verses we're going to talk about where God says, I'll be there with you forever. So, I mean, there is something about the place, but it's not just a place because we know uh, Jerusalem come under captivity. It was ultimately destroyed by the Romans. So it wasn't, okay, when the place was destroyed that God's presence wasn't anywhere anymore. 
So it did go farther than that, but there was something to the, to the place. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so let's look at uh, um, let's go ahead to verse four and, and following. It says, "For behold, the kings assembled; they passed by together. They saw it, and so they marvelled. They were troubled. They hastened away. Fear took hold of them there, and pain as of." a woman in uh, uh, birth pains, as when you break the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. Now there's a lot here that I, I guess you can speculate about, uh, but there are some things that I think it does uh, refer to when it talks about, for behold, the kings assembled, they passed by together. They're talking about how the Lord uh, defeats Zion's opponents, that anyone that comes up against them, that... that they can't because he's going to defeat them. And, and one such instance, I think, can be found in Second Chronicles 32, where you have uh, where uh, Hezekiah, remember when he was there and the Syrian army come up? Uh, uh, oh, his name slipped me now. Help me out here. Uh, Sennacherib. Is that how you say that? Is that right? Yeah. When he, he, his armies come up and the things that he did to get ready to defeat them, you remember an angel of the Lord went out and what, slew 185,000 uh, because of it. So they came up and they were going to try to defeat them, but they couldn't because the Lord defeated that. And then you have where it says here, uh, as when you break the ships of Tarshish uh, with an east wind. Uh, this goes back to where... Uh, you have uh, Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, uh, as a reminder here, that when he had built fleets of ships uh, to go to Tarshish, but because he had made an alliance with, a, or they had ships come up when he made the alliance there, that God destroyed those ships. So they're seeing instances to where, uh, and there was others, and it could have been different ones, but this kind of falls into place with these, where they're seeing where, God is at his presence is actually the reason that these individuals are defeated. That if you go up against Jerusalem, it's not that you're going up against Zion. It's not that you're just going up against the city. You're going up against God. And you remember any time that uh, when the children of Israel, when they're going in and conquered nations, when did, they loot, when did they win the battles? When was victory theirs each time? What were they following? What went before, what went before them? Ark of the yeah, the Ark of the Covenant. When, when God went before them, when they were in that alliance with God and God went forth, they couldn't be defeated. I mean, it didn't matter how many they had and how many someone else had. It, it didn't make any difference. You know, they went and uh, did Israel ever fight with chariots or anything like that? Why didn't they fight with that? Why didn't they have the same thing the other armies did? Yeah, they didn't need that. Their reliance wasn't on those things. Their reliance was on, uh, on God. Remember when Gideon and he took uh, his people out, what did they defeat the army with? What were they using, remember? Jars and torches. <laughs> Jars and torches. You know, when, when God went before you, you didn't need these other things. So what they're praising God for is not just what the normal Psalms does, just pray God for who He is, they're actually seeing now that 
what they've heard for generations and uh, the generations before them and what they're seeing now is God is actually the reason that they have victory. It says God is in, as we said before, He's in their palaces. He's in uh, uh, where He's at. He's, he's seen them go out. He, they call Him here, uh, look back, for behold the kings assembled. They passed by together. They saw it and they marveled. They were troubled and hastened away. Fear took hold of them. They said, when you go against God, it doesn't matter who you are or how strong your army. You know, you, you take the Assyrian army when they come. He, he basically said that, you know, no God or army has ever been able to withstand against me. Don't listen to what Hezekiah is saying over here. Don't listen to what they're saying and trying to trick you. We can defeat them. We've done this everywhere. Anybody we fought that said that they had some God, we were able to defeat it. So in his mind, there wasn't any problem. But they didn't come up against the God, did they? And when you do that, then it's a different story. You do. You, and that's the thing. And, and Titus made reference to this earlier. It's not that when God says, I, I'll leave you, never forsake you. Well, he means that, doesn't he? But can I leave him? You know, when we say, well, God, you said you'd always be with me. Well, I've got to be in alliance with him. He, here's, here's how God's always with me. I can walk away from him. He's not going to walk away from me. It, it's as uh, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, it's sin that separates you. It's not that God can't reach you or God can't hear you. It's the sin that has separated you from God. So as long as we're in this alliance, and that's what I think at this time when they're praising God, I think in my mind I'm just seeing that they have no doubt that God's always going to be with them and no army is ever going to overtake them. That's good and that's bad to, to think like that. And here's what I mean by that. It's good because I need to have confidence in God. I need to have confidence that God's always going to be there. He's going to be my refuge. He's going to protect me. He's going to defeat my enemies because He says He's going to. But what if I am not in alliance with God, but I still believe He's going to be with me? Then is there a problem? Yes. Yeah. You remember when they went out... Uh, uh, and fought against Ai. Remember, they conquered all these cities and they went out and got defeated by Ai. Why'd they get defeated? There was sin in the camp. With sin being in the camp, they didn't have God's approval to go out and do what they did, but they still felt like God was there with them. They just took matters in their own hands. God's always going to be there. See, it's kind of a two-edged sword. We've got to be careful. The same thing with Christianity. I, I can say, well, God's always with me. God's always... Have you ever talked to... I, I can remember talking to somebody one time and I was studying with them about becoming a Christian, about uh, uh, doing things that they need to do. And they said, well, I pray to God every day. I pray to Him every morning. I pray to Him every night. Well, that's good. And they said, I know God's with me. Well, is He or is He not? Okay, if I'm not in alliance with Him, He's there. He wants to be with me. But am I actually with Him? I can convince myself that I am, but that doesn't mean that I am, you know. I tell you, one of the worst, I think, 
one of the worst positions to be in is not to be without hope. What do you think it is? Thinking you do. False hope. Because if, if I come to realization I don't have hope, I can do something about that to make sure I get hope. But if I have false hope and I think I've got it already, I'm not going to do anything to change. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily what they're doing here in Psalms, but I think they are very confident, as the psalmist is writing this, that God's with them and praising them, and we should. I mean, we absolutely should, but, we, but if you look forward in the future of after what's taking place here, why was Jerusalem ultimately destroyed? Why was it? Lack of faith. They, they left God. God didn't leave them. Everything became about just the temple. Everything became about just the city. Everything come, become about them and them thinking God's still there and it's all about them. They honor me with their lips, but their heart's far from me. Remember when you get into Jesus' time? That, that when I read this, I can't help but jump ahead to that. So something happens, and I think this is a good lesson for us. Something happened from here to there. And we've got to make sure that that doesn't happen to us. We've got to make sure we have confidence in God. We've got to make sure that we know God is our refuge. He's our strength. He's a very present help in trouble, as Psalm 46 says. But we also got to remember, I've got a part in that. My part is serving God. You know, he's the Lord of hosts. What does the Lord of hosts imply? Army. He's the head of the army. But I've got to be in the army, right? I've got to follow what the instructions are. I, that's what I have. That's my part. When I go AWOL, the Lord of hosts doesn't have any effect on me because I've gone AWOL, right? So I, I, I want us to keep in mind, and you may tell me, Ron, you're reading way too much in this psalm, but uh, that's what happens when you think there's nothing there and you really get to digging sometimes. But we've got to make sure... You know, we can read this, but we also have the advantage of seeing where things end up too. So this is the, the good part. This is the pleasure part. This is, they're in the, boy, I've seen all this that God's done for me, and boy, how wonderful it is. But somewhere along the line, they forget that. And we've got to make sure that we don't. Um, but it is a, it's something that they not only see, have heard about God's victories, they actually have, have seen it. I mean, they're a, actually able to witness it. And I think that's a, a, a big thing of, uh, of having that confidence in God. Look at verse 8. It says, as we, uh, as we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. So here you are, and I jumped ahead just a little bit, but here you have, it says, we've heard but we've also seen in the city, and now's where they refer to him as the Lord of hosts. Because they're talking about the battles, they're talking about the victories, they're talking about the enemies that have come upon them, and they see how they have the destruction of it. That the kings can come together, but it doesn't do any good. Uh, matter of fact, if you go back uh, uh, to verse 4, it says, For behold, the kings assembled, and they passed by together. You know, you had the kings there, and that was part of the Syrian army because they had different ones in there, I think, where, you know, there they are discussing it and all that, but yet it didn't do any good. You, you can't go, it doesn't matter. 
uh, I forgot what psalm it was um, where we actually talked about this, where it says the, the cities rage, the people rage, and they have all their things against God, but it does no good. You know, it, it, no matter what we think we can do, we can't go against God. There's no way to win that. So that's what, that's what the other nations had to learn. When you go against God's nation, when you go against this nation that He's preparing that way for His Son, there's no defeating that. There's nothing that you can do. God can come with an angel and, and wipe you out. 185,000 in that one case. You know, so how do they defeat that? They can't. But see, the problem is they don't recognize God in that. They just see a city. They just see a people. They don't see God that's, that's actually uh, leading them. And then here they're saying, we not only heard this, but we actually see this also. Uh, look with me, if you will, uh, 1 Kings 9, verse 3. It says, And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. I have consecrated this house which you have built to put my name there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. See, that's what he's saying here in uh, verse 8. In the city of our God, God established it, will establish it forever. See, they have no doubt in their mind because God has actually said that. I will be with you. I will, this, this uh, perpetually, I'm going to be here with you forever. Just like he tells us, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But the problem is, we do the leaving. We do the forsaking. We get in our own little thing. We see these victories. We, it's just like, uh, was, it, uh, was it Joshua that was selling the people through, through God when he was letting them know you didn't build, you didn't build these cities, you didn't build these things. You did, it's the generations before you. And sometimes when we get on the backs of what others have done, we kind of forget what it took to get there. And all we do is reap the benefits of it when there was no sacrifice made on our part. And then what happens, we start to forget that. And when we start to forget that, we start to forget God. And I think that's where the issue uh, can arise. Look here, starting in verse 9. It says, We have thought, O God, on your loving kindness in the midst of your temple, according to your name, O God. So is your praise to the end of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of your judgment. So here we read about how the people rejoice because of the mighty works of God. Specifically, they, they are joyful for the fact that God had continued to defend Zion. Uh, I mean, they're in, they're in the heyday here. They're, they're in the, the glorious part. They're, they're seeing these victories. They're, they're reaping the benefits. It's, it's uh, you know, built into this great city, this, this loftiness. This, no one can touch it. Um, again, how, it must be wonderful to be in that state, to have no fear of anything that's around you because you know God is going to protect you. And, I, and I, again, I think that's kind of a, a scary place sometimes to be in because I think there's more responsibility when it comes to that. We, we have to really remember. Um, it's, like, it's, it's the same thing I, I would think of being confident in your salvation. Uh, do you ever have trouble being confident in your salvation? You know, I, 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 you know, 
I've had people ask me before, are you saved? I, I kind of stumble to answer that question because I, I, I feel like it's arrogant to say, well, I know I'm saved. And I think as soon as I say it like that, that that's haughtiness, that's pride, and then I'm not. <laughs> In my mind, that's how I, I think. But you can and you, we should have confidence in our salvation, but not self-confident and not overconfident to the fact to where we think we can do no wrong. See, there's a, there's a balance there. There's responsibility when it comes to that. And, and not to be forgetful of the sacrifice that was made for our salvation, just like they shouldn't forget the sacrifice that was made for the things in which that took place for them. Now, not taking anything away from their, their sincerity of gladness and praise and joy for God, but again, we have the benefit to see on into the future of what takes place and where it ultimately ends up of that covenant being broken. But uh, it's a shame to see how wonderful it is and what it becomes. And I think it could be a good example for us if, if we're not careful of the same thing. Any further thoughts that before we go on? That's a good way to put it. I well, sure put yeah. You don't want to say, well, we shouldn't have a good generation. Because if we have a good one, it might lead to a bad one. Nobody's right. thinking, well, we don't want to be successful because success might lead to trouble. But at the same time, again, biblically, it always seems like that one generation will lead to, to faithlessness. So I think what you're saying about the yeah. balance, I don't really have a comment besides saying it is that balance. It is. Kind of yeah. where, you know, and, and the generation before, that's why it's so difficult to parent. You know, parenting was easy. They could do all that they are, but Yeah. But at the same time, let them understand and go through their own struggle of realizing, hey, this is all, but, but for the grace of God, we wouldn't have any of it. You know? Right. It's, 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 it's like anything else, like success today or money today. Money to me, I always said there's two things that brings out a person's true character. Uh, you deal with that individual during a death, that'll bring out their true character. Because <laughs> that's when emotions are raw and that really shows who they are or money that really shows who a person is you know more of it it just amplifies who you are anyway whether good or bad there's nothing inherently wrong with money it it's just it just amplifies who you already are if you're a good person you're able to do more good things if you're not then then you do more horrible things because you've got more more resources to do it and I think it's the same way here you know, with success and, and things that happen, it's a good thing, but it also can bring out who you truly are. Are you thankful and always going to be thankful for what God has done and always try to pursue Him so you can stay in that, as it were, good graces? Or do you see that as, oh, it'll always be there, so I don't have to do anything, and then before you know it, we drift away. It is a balancing act. I think it is something that uh, we have to really be on our guard, our, our guard with. Uh, look at verse 12 through 14. It says, Walk about Zion, go all around her, count her towers, mark well her uh, bulwarks, uh, consider her palaces, that you may tell it to the generations following. For this is God, our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to death. Now I tell you, I struggle with this passage because notice how, how it's worded. What's it saying? You take a tour of Zion, what they, uh, of Zion here, what do they say you're going to see? 
how wonderful it is. It's towers, it's palaces, all these wonderful things. But notice it says, for this is God. I think what they're meaning is God's in the presence of God's here and all that, but it actually become something more than that, didn't it? And I... I yeah. Uh, take, for example, and I just wrote this down. I think I may put it in there, so I'll have to read it from here. Look at Matthew 24. Notice, then Jesus went out and departed. Remember, at the end of Matthew 23, what did he say? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you'd let me, I'd gather you like hen, uh, a hen gathers her chicks, right? I, I, I'm there to protect you. I want to protect you, but you wouldn't let me. And you remember the conversation he has with his disciples? Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple, so they're out, they're, they're taking a tour. That's what made me think about it from this verse. Their disciples are going out and giving Jesus a tour, and what are they touring? What are they wanting to see? How, how great the city is and how great the temple is. And Jesus said to him, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, this had to be devastating to them, didn't it? They're, they're showing him the temple, they're showing him the city, and he said, there won't be one stone that's not going to be overturned here. They're devastated about this. They can't imagine life past that. Can they? I mean, this is how grandeur it is. But notice, it says, uh, uh, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciple came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now, even today, are there a lot of misunderstandings about Matthew 24? There's a lot. Because when people read it, you hear, especially in the religious world, it's the end of time. Talking about the end of time, end of time. It can't possibly be talking about the end of time at the first, at least the first part to about verse 36, at least. Can it? Because he talks about what he's talking about is the destruction of Jerusalem. Then he talks about, but of that day and hour, talking about the end of time, no one knows. But the problem is, and I think where the confusion still goes today, the disciples, I think, meshed it together. They couldn't possibly see life going on without it. So they, they believed in their mind, if this is going to be destroyed, that must be the end of time. So they asked him, uh, when will these things be? What will be the sign of it and the end of the age? So Jesus breaks it up into different answers and answers their question. I believe they're thinking it's the same thing, and I think here's the reason why. I think you're seeing it here in Psalms 48, is what I think, is they're thinking how wonderful this is, how, how, how grand you know, this is. Notice how they describe Walk about Zion, go all around her, count her towers, mark well her bulwarks, consider her palaces, that you may tell it to the generation following. For this is God, our God forever and ever. He will be our God even to death. And we're going to go in and talk about, especially in, in Joel, where God talks about being at Zion, and being, but it goes into the spiritual sin is what he's talking about. I don't think he ever just referred, was thinking the physical part. He's not saying, I'm just going to be in this city and I'm never going to be nowhere else and I'm going to, not ever going to leave you. Well, the city was destroyed, where'd God go? If he was going to be there forever, to destroy God too. I, see, I think when you come, when you come to uh, uh, Matthew 24, I think you kind of see that they did teach that through generations, and it become about the temple. 
uh, just the temple itself. It become about just the city itself. Uh, how, how, you know, we don't need Jesus. Because that's why Jesus said in Matthew 23, if you'd only come to me like a, a hen would gather her chicks, I'd help you, but you don't want that. So it become different. It become not about God and Jerusalem and about how God protects it. It just became about Jerusalem, I think. Jeff, do you have something? Yeah. So this is to me that that line doesn't fit everything else in there. That's an arrogance. Yeah. I I I think that's how I'm reading it. And I may have it all wrong. Somebody else may that's a lot smarter than me. Can I didn't find anywhere that anybody ever said anything like this in studying it. It was just about how it went from the city to the spiritual part of of God. But I I kind of see, and I don't know necessarily. I I think they were genuine here in the songs, but I think. From that, as they taught it to generations, it just became about this and not about God and what he did for them. It became, to the Pharisees especially, it was about how, how grand they were and how grand they, they were rulers of the temple. You know, you don't, go, you don't do anything without going through us. You see, it became more about them. And I think that's why Jesus, I think that's why he said, it, I have to overturn, for you to ever see me, this has to go. And, and by killing him, that's what it, that's what it was about, wasn't it? it? It became something more than just... I think what they were thinking here too, Jerusalem was this great because when Jesus come back, what they think was gonna, he was going to do? He's going to sit on the throne there and he's going to overthrow the, uh, the Roman uh, Empire. He, he's coming to save them, you know, as it got to, in a physical sense as far as he's going to uh, overthrow the throne here. But as he told them, it, it's much more than that. It's not about my, my kingdom is not here. And I think that's what he had to let them know about Jerusalem. It, it, it's not about here. Um, and like I say, I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to get in their mind and say they wasn't sincere. But from this last part here, I, I think like Jeff said, I think it's pretty evident it's become about, hey, nothing can stop us. We're indefensible. Just try. <laughs> Well, if God's with you, that's right. But if it becomes about you, then that's wrong. Uh, then you're, you know, that's why uh, pride comes before the fall. Because when it comes about just you, and we can do the same thing today, I think. Look how grand our church building is. Come over here, look. We've got all of these programs. We've got all of this wonderful building. We've got all of these. And these things are good. It's not that there's anything wrong with these things. But when it comes, becomes just about that and not about God anymore, then we, we've, we, I think we're in the same boat here, aren't we? It, it, it needs to be more than just the physical, tangible things that we see. And it's not that God wasn't there with them. Uh, God set this aside for a reason. I mean, this was a purpose. I think he, he meant that in that immediate context, just like they did about Jerusalem, but it was much more... Uh, and we're not going to have time, but you go in about uh, with Job. Well, let's just go to Job chapter 2. Maybe we can read a couple of them in his prophecies about the future Zion. And Job said this, and Peter quoted this in his sermon. 
And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I'll show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. Blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness. The moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. And of course this is part of what uh, Peter quoted in his sermon. You know, Jesus told his disciples, you know, out of, uh, you know, out of Zion, that's where it's going to come. That's where you're going to go and you're going to wait and that's what you're going to see and these things that you're going to do. So there was something about that, the, the physical part, but it went much more than that. I think the same promise that they were taking as just the physical is the same promise that he's making us in the spiritual. I'll always be there. I'll always be your refuge. I'll always be your defender. But it's about his body. It's about who he is. It's not about us and our buildings and the, the things that we got around us that sometimes we can think that are so grand. It's much more than that. and We got to make sure that we don't ever lose that perspective. So I guess the moral of I'm getting out of this psalm is what, what this psalm says about God is true. What it says about their city is true. But let's make sure it don't go from that to what we actually see it gone to, utter destruction because it became just about the place. And we don't ever want that to be uh, when it comes to our Christianity. Any final thoughts or questions? No, that's not true. That's he did, not true. He did, but I think what the Uncle Sam drives is not the physical was of no worth, but the physical was always just a signpost of the better reality. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know you have Hebrews 12 in here. Oh, yeah. Shows you, you know, what, what you saw in the Old Testament, all of that was just kind of the, the shadow version of the better thing. Mm-hmm. And so you can't look at Jerusalem gets destroyed and go, well, you know, God destroyed this giant city and kind of gave us this humble church. Well, the church is greater than Jerusalem. The, church, the spiritual trumps the whatever earlier version yeah, that was. Yeah, go, go read Hebrews 12 because it does talk about how it's, yeah, it was about the physical, but it's ultimately about the spiritual part. Uh, and we just didn't have time to get to that. But uh, I, I think that's a, I think that's a problem that's been through every age. And we can get to where we think it, it goes from God did all of this to look what I've done. And uh, I think when, uh, that's why the first thing I thought when, uh, end of Matthew 23 and first of 24, where I, I can just imagine disciples going out showing them all this. Jesus said, all this is going to be, they won't be one stone unturned. I bet their jaws dropped. I, they couldn't imagine that. I mean, can you imagine <laughs> that's what you've known all your life that you've heard about and how great that is. And now he's saying it's going to be destroyed. Then the world must, when that happens, the world must, must be over after that they couldn't imagine life after that um, and I don't think any of them could I don't think the the reality no matter how close the disciples were to him I don't think the reality of truly who Jesus was and what he meant about the Messiah actually was until after his resurrection I think the whole time they still were thinking the physical they were still thinking I mean look at them they scattered Peter said well I'm going fishing you know I'm going back to fishing 
They, I, I mean, he's dead now. You know, he, yeah, he said all this, but he, he's dead now. So now what? And they were always thinking on the physical side, and Jesus had to show them that it was the spiritual ultimately. Oh, yeah. And I, I've often thought, maybe you've said too, how could they not believe that? If I was there, boy, I'd believe this. But you have to think. You have to think what they saw then, but also the traditions that they were brought up with that they were still wrestling with, no different than some of the traditions we still wrestle with today. And they're having to reconcile that in their mind now of, okay, here was what our interpretation of the Scriptures are, but here's actually what he's saying to us. And I think... I don't know that I would have been any different than that. So, yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs>